0: Good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter twenty. Acts chapter twenty. We're going to reading a few, uh, just a few verses there. And I've got it before us here on the screen uh, some visuals that I do help, hope will help, not hinder, uh, the message today. Um, there are two main themes that we're going to consider this morning in the will of the Lord and with the help of the Lord. That is the nature of sin and the nature of the shepherd. Now, if one of those gets allotted more time, it will more than likely be the first one, the nature of sin um, for various reasons, uh, one of which is that it's first in line. I tend to talk a lot, so we'll see how far we get through that before we get to the second one. The nature of sin. We just sung a song that said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I assume that pretty much all of us can identify with those words. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The nature of sin. Uh, just this past weekend, actually just a few days ago, um, I read about an event that I want to share with you, and I think it's quite illustrative. Nick Kyrgios is a pro tennis player, and Nick Kyrgios was fined $113,000 for one particular event and one particular game by the ATP, that's the Association of Tennis Professionals. And uh, let me tell you why he was fined. This is a list of the things that he was fined for. He was fined for ball abuse, for racket abuse. He broke two rackets, mind you. He was fined for using vulgarity, shouting vulgarity for that matter, loud enough for the whole audience to hear. He was fined for insulting and verbally attacking the referee. He was fined for various displays of unsportsmanlike conduct and He was fined as well for spitting in the direction of the referee. Uh, This would be, in New Testament terms, a good old-fashioned outburst of wrath is what this was. Why do I share that with you? Well, what I find interesting is this. His opponent said about him, mind you, he did end up losing the match to not uh, not many folks surprised. But his opponent said this about him, and I want you to think about this for a moment. He said, Great talent. Nick has great talent, but his head is not in the right place. Hmm. I have a question for you, though. What does his head not being in the right place have to do with what we just heard about? Wasn't it his hand that swung the balls into the crowd? Wasn't it his arm and hand that shattered the rackets there for everyone to see? Wasn't it his mouth that spewed the vulgarity? Wasn't it his mouth that shouted at the referee? Wasn't it his mouth that did the spitting? Wasn't it his body itself that gave off these foul displays of unsportsmanlike conduct and vulgarity? But it was, wasn't it? But his opponent said something I find quite remarkable, but his head was not in the right place. Well, we all understand what he's saying, don't we? Yes, it was his hand that threw the ball. Yes, it was his arm and hand that shattered the rackets. Uh, It no doubt was his mouth that spewed the vulgarity, that spit toward the referee. That's all true. We all know that. But we all understand what he's saying, don't we? His head is not in the right place. No, it wasn't his head that did that. But was it? Yeah, in a sense, it was his head that did that, wasn't it? His mind directed his hands, his mouth, his body to do the things that he did. Indeed, his head is not in the right place. I wonder how many of us recognize this In real practical fashion, when it comes to our own spiritual lives and the spiritual lives of those around us? How often, when we fall spiritually, disobey for that matter, fall into sin, how often do we recognize that this was not just a deed of the flesh, but this is a problem of the mind? And of the heart that has worked itself out of my body. Do you recognize that? In my life, when I have realized most that I am not seeing this, when God has brought it to my mind, is when I'm dealing with my children. Lots of times with my children, I will say things to them like this. You stop speaking like that. Don't you hit your brother. Don't speak to your mother like that. And every so often, the Lord reminds me Michael, the things that you're reprimanding and trying to correct from the outside are only things that have come from the heart and from the mind of that child and worked themselves out of the body. Do you follow what I'm saying? And so the Lord has told me at times, you need to sit with that child and you need to deal with the heart of the matter. Some have said the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. That is true, isn't it? That the actions, the deeds of the body, those failures, those falls spiritually are not just mishaps of the body deeds done on the external, but they are indeed a problem with the mind. These are things that have manifested themselves regarding this tennis player. He later, uh, via social media, let the world know that he's fully convinced that there's bias in the association of tennis professionals, that he's being mistreated. You see, there's something going on in his mind and others around him recognize that this is an issue of the heart. They said, hey, this is not just a one-time thing. This is his character. This is who he is. He has problems in the mind and in the heart. His opponent was right. It's his head that's not in the right place. Not so much his hands and his mouth, though those were the outworking of what was inside. So the nature of sin. It is helpful, I think and scriptural to understand how sin operates. Because again, I can sit down with my child, or sometimes I don't even sit down with them, I just shout across the room, you stop doing what you're doing. Maybe at times they're going, well, I'd like to, but I I just seem to keep falling back into the same things. That child needs a renewal of the mind and of the heart, just like you and I do. Have you found yourself trapped in sin? Have you found yourself engaging in things that would cause spiritual falls in your life? Have you recognized that these things that you fall to, that you succumb to, the disobedience of the body is actually coming from defilement in the mind? And in the heart? And perhaps the bigger question is this. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? If it's true that Nick Kyrgyz's problem, that his head was not in the right place, and if it's true spiritually that your disobedience and my disobedience, my spiritual failures, false, sin... It's not so much a matter of the deeds of the body as it is the defilement of the mind and of the heart. If that's true, and I believe it is, I believe the Bible supports that fully, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? When you fall spiritually, when you have an outburst of anger, rage, what do you do? Michael... Next time, you be better in that situation. Well, I suppose that part of it, restraining yourself, is part of it. But what about your mind and your heart? What are you doing to see that your mind and heart are renewed so that what flows out of your body is what ought to flow out of your body? Listen to what the Lord Jesus said. I know I turned you to Acts 20, and we're going to go back there in just a moment but listen to what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. This is a very well-known passage in verse 19. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, which is lying, and blasphemies. Out of the heart, yes, that's what the Lord Jesus said. Out of your heart. It is the, not so much the deeds of the body, but the defilement of the heart and the defilement of the mind that need to be dealt with. I'm not minimizing self-control, that's part of it, but I am suggesting to you, that if you take no action concerning your mind and your heart to see them renewed by the Spirit of God, you will never, ever be truly victorious over sin. And I believe the Bible testifies to that fully, fully. And we're going to see some of that. Let me read you a quote. Spiritual transformation this is the transformation in the Christian life, is not switching from the to-do list of the flesh to the to-do list of the law, meaning it's not just switching from, I love to do those bad things, I'm going to do those bad things, now I see that God's law is there, I'm going to do them. It's not just that. But when Paul replaces the list The works of the flesh, he does not replace it with the works of the law, but with the fruit of the spirit. I can't make fruit grow. Can you make fruit grow? Certainly can't make physical fruit grow. I know I can't make spiritual fruit grow, but there is somebody who can make spiritual fruit grow in your life. That is the spirit of God. The Christian alternative to immoral behaviors is not a new list of moral behaviors. It is the triumphant power and transformation of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our treasure. God has made us sufficient ministers of a new covenant. Second Corinthians three, six says not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So transformation is a profound, blood-bought, spirit-wrought change from the inside out. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in order to walk in the will of God, to be victorious over sin, it is only by the work of God, through the spirit of God, transforming you from the inside out that you'll be victorious. You believe that this is what the scripture affirms. This is the reality of the Christian life. One brother said that the Christian life can be summed up in those words, transformed by the renewing of your mind, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have you ever met somebody? that just emanates the Lord Jesus Christ. You're around them and you say, this person is a joy to be around. They emanate the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ is just coming off of them. I want to suggest to you that it's not just because they've become very good at keeping God's laws, but it's because the Spirit of God has done a work by the word of God in their hearts and in their minds to transform them from the inside out that they now portray the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. So Acts chapter 20 gives us uh, an illustrative scenario. I want to make this clear from the beginning I am not exegeting Acts chapter 20, meaning I'm not going through Acts 20 to break it down word by word and give you the literal meaning at that literal time. But what I am going to do is use Acts chapter 20 as a, an illustrative passage to help us understand these spiritual truths. It says this in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, if you're following along, don't be scared, because I know that when a preacher opens with that verse, Paul, continue his message until midnight, it may cause you a bit of fear. But I promise we won't do that. It says in verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. Indeed, he was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. This is an illustration that the Lord has given to me of the nature of sin. That sin is indeed a process. It is progressive, that it's various stages along the way. That most times spiritual falls are not just a slip and a fall, but they're actually a process and a progression before there's finally a fall. Now let's go forward and, uh, take a little bit of an outline of this. So you could call this passage, the passage of a preacher and a sleeper. Again, we're just using it illustratively. This is one short story. Let me, let me actually read the next two verses or three verses. So we have the whole thing. So first it's Eutychus. He's slipped off into sleep so much so that he's been overcome by sleep and he's fallen down and taken up dead. But, verse 10 says, Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. That's all the reading that we're going to do from Acts chapter 20. So what do we have? We have one short story, two characters primarily, Eutychus and Paul, and we have, I don't know if you noticed it, but two falls and one short story. Did you catch that? It says that Eutychus fell out of the third story window and was taken up dead. But then again, in verse 10, it says, but Paul went down and fell on him. Two falls in one short story, two characters. One of the falls is very negative. I think you could guess whose that is. Falling out of the third story window is a negative thing. Don't try it. Don't try these things at home. Well, Eutychus did. It's a very negative thing, but Paul's is very positive because he went down and fell on Eutychus and embraced him, and by the Spirit of God, he was brought back to life. The fall of the sleeper in tragic... I'm sorry, it's so small there. The fall of the sleeper is tragic and illustrates the nature of sin. What specific aspect of sin? That sin is progressive, that it happens in stages. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. The fall of the preacher is touching and illustrates the nature of the shepherd, that the shepherd is personal. This is a direct reference. Hey, I'm not going to hide anything here. A direct reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd who has an interest in you. Personally. So let's go on. Let me read to you this, and, uh, this is just to kind of help us again getting, getting going here. So, I'm gonna have to turn, I'm sorry about that. This is, uh, a bit too small, but I do want to read you this because it helps summarize the story, hopefully you can follow along. While the great apostle Paul was speaking, Eutychus was sinking deep into sleep until he spilled right out of the window in which he was sitting. What can we learn from this down-to-earth story about a man who fell down to earth? Don't sit at a distance in a window. Stay active and in the midst of the people of God, his presence, and his word. Like the fall of Eutychus, spiritual falls most often happen in a progression. Spiritually speaking, there is often a sitting, a sinking, a sleeping prior to a spilling. On a positive note in this short passage, it is remarkable to see a speaker so quickly turned shepherd. Paul's descent to embrace this fallen sheep in his arms reminds us of the far greater condescension of the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. The preacher Paul unreservedly left the pulpit for personal hands-on pastoral ministry. Lofty preaching has its place but the pulpit should be no pastor's permanent space. Perhaps God's most fruitful earthly assets are his little known servants that labor in personal pastoral ministry, even more so than those known for powerful or public preaching. That's just a synopsis of the story to help us get our minds in the right direction. So the nature of sin. Do you see it there with Eutychus? He sat. He sank. He slept. And then he spilled right out of the window to his own demise, to death. Do you see it? It's just an illustration. But, but, but the truth that's portrayed there is the reality of the way that sin works. The nature of sin. Sin is not only expansive. That is to say, having the tendency to increase or to enlarge. That is true. Sin is expansive. The snowball effect, if you will. That is true. We can see this borne out in lots of stories in the Bible. Sin tends to snowball, to grow, to enlarge. But it's not only expansive. Sin is also progressive. It often uh, happens uh, in or develops in stages. There's a process to sin. Did you know that? There's a process to sin. I hope that this will help you in identifying and dealing with and overcoming and being victorious over sin. There's a process to sin. You could say that sin tends to grow in severity. It is expansive, but it also tends to happen in sequence. It is progressive. One person said it this way. Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an action and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. There's a process to sin. Now, that's not exactly the outline I'm going to use, but it's a very well-known quote that certainly helps get our minds going in that direction. I want to make a side note. Do you know that not all sin is the same? I believe this wholeheartedly. The Bible affirms it wholeheartedly. First Corinthians six tells us about sin that's different from other sin, the sins of sexual immorality. But I'm not so much talking about getting down to the nitty gritty of sin to show you how it's different. We all understand this, right? To say that all sin is the same is like saying all money is money. Well, that is true. If I were to win a dollar from a raffle and I were to win a million dollars from the lottery, someone could say, well, congrats, you've you've gotten some money. Well, that's true in both scenarios. But a million dollars has a bit of a different effect upon a person than a dollar does. So sin is... All sin in one sense, but in another sense, it's not. Not all sin is the same. Many people take the words of the Lord Jesus Christ from Matthew chapter five, speaking about murder and adultery and how he goes into the heart of man, the mind of man, and he will say something like, you have said that it was, uh, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery. And so some people might erroneously say, well, there it is. Jesus affirms that all sin is the same. The sin of adultery in the mind and in the heart is the same as the acting out of adultery. But we know that's not true. In fact, we need to listen to the rest of the words of the Lord Jesus has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So all sin is not the same. We need to deal with sin because sin does tend to progress and to grow great spiritual falls are often almost always preceded by a process, the progressive nature of sin to grow, to feed upon itself, things that begin in the mind that affect the heart that are then acted out in the body. And the end of them is death. Not all sin is the same. I don't want to take too much time on that. If you have questions about it, let's talk about it, but it's not the same. Sin is sin. That is true. And the sin of the heart is very serious. But the acting out of certain sins is not exactly the same as having them in your mind and heart. The nature of sin. Let's turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And perhaps some of you in your minds have already gone to this passage. Because you know that it gives us the most clear uh, a description of sin and its process. And so I want to bring up, I've categorized this into four sections Four sections that I'm gonna put up before you. This, the process of sin can be categorized differently. This is not to make an argument out of it or to contest it, but it's just to help us to see that sin does take a process. It is progressive. So we could add some things to this set of four. We could probably take a thing or two away or change the wording of it, but this is just to help. Sin, you could, you could say, sin, can often be identified as a deception believed and a desire conceived before it is a deed done and a death died. This is kind of the synopsis of James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 13 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So the writer James begins by dealing with a deception that's in their mind. Apparently some people uh, 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 that are reading this letter are under the impression, under the mental deception, that it is God who's bringing them to sin. It is God who's tempting them to sin. But James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Correct the deception in your minds, brothers and sisters. It is not God who's tempting you. That's what James is saying. But he says in verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. If you have a King James, I do believe it says lust instead of desire. I've used desire because that's what's in the New King James and certainly it flows with the outline. Deception in the mind, desire in the heart, disobedience in the body, and death to the spirit. This is basically the process of sin. It may be difficult to look at every single sinful situation and to break it down this way, but I would suggest to you that the vast majority of the time, when, when there's disobedience, it can be traced back to deception in the mind, desire in the heart before it is acted out in the body. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when di- desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. If you want to follow the outline, disobedience, sin, synonyms right now. Okay, we're using those the same. So each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. That's the actual disobedience. That's the manifestation of the body. That's the breaking of the rackets, the spitting and all of that that we just heard about. It gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth Death. This is the process of sin. We can see this process of sin borne out in multiple passages in the Bible. Okay, I want to go and give you some examples, but let me say something first. There's a reason why I'm breaking down the nature of sin. When I was a young man, uh this was probably ten years ago or so, um, a brother shared with us some tips on teaching the Bible. And he said, don't ever try to hide your main point, okay? Let's not try for the fancy, pull the rabbit out of the hat trick at the end of the message. Just tell them where you're going. So let me tell you where I'm going. The reason why I'm breaking down and considering the nature of sin, the way that this process works is because I believe it is very helpful in overcoming sin and being victorious, if we can understand that what happens in the mind feeds the heart and the desires of the heart are acted out in the body, we can back the process up and we can do what the Bible calls renewing the mind. To be transformed Romans 12, 2 says by the renewing of your mind. Do you want to be victorious over sin? Do you want to avoid catastrophic, deathly, spiritual falls? I do. Do you understand that it begins in your mind? Do you understand that the diet of the mind feeds the desires of the heart? And the body acts out? The the, 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 the desires, the lust of the heart, the lusts of the flesh. Do you understand that? Do you understand that you need your mind to be renewed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God in order to be victorious over sin? That this process will never be stopped other than the divine intervention of God to in the first place give you a new heart as he's promised to do in Ezekiel 11, and then to renew the mind and renew the heart, only by that will you be victorious over sin. Listen, I could close my Bible, and I guess I'm getting close to that time anyway, but that's the main point. That's the main point. I'm not going through this just because I want to talk about Christian psychology or something like that. But if we understand that the diet of the mind feeds the desires of the heart in that the body is acting out the longings, the cravings, the desires, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the heart. We will then understand why it's so important to renew the mind. Ephesians 4 says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Are you doing that? If this is true, what are you doing about it? I'm going to get ahead of myself. So let's look at a couple of examples very quickly. And then we will, uh, unfortunately, have to wrap up. Okay, so turn to Proverbs chapter 7 for a moment. Proverbs chapter 7. I'm going to go through these as quickly as I can. Proverbs chapter 7 is one example of this process, okay? I hope you follow what I'm saying. Proverbs chapter seven is an example, a real example of this process. Deception in the mind, desire in the body, I'm sorry, desire in the heart, disobedience in the body, and then death. Listen to what it says. Proverbs seven and verse one for context says, my son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live, and my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your finger. Okay, excuse me, I'm sorry. Verse six, I'm sorry, verse six. So this is where the story picks up. For at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice, I looked through the blinds, and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding. So the writer, Solomon is looking out, he sees a young man, who, like our brother Chris Schroeder would say, needs a checkup from the neck up. This young man's got something not straight upstairs. His mind is not right. How does he know that? Well, because he sees the young man passing along the street near her corner. Whose corner? Well, it's the corner of a harlot, of a prostitute. He took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Now, I understand those to be three different times of the day. So I assume that this young man took frequent trips by the house of this harlot. Okay, so I can't go into the whole details of the story, but listen to the way that this sums up. Look at verse 21. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. So here he is. He's walked by the corner of her house. It sounds like many times. And she's called out to him. You can read the story later if you want, verses 10 to 20. It's spelled out very well there. He yields. Here he is. The mind is processing the things that she's saying. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. So the activity that was going on in this young man's mind, I'm sure it was vile. She speaks to him, he yields, he's sitting and he's thinking about what's going on. With her flattering lips, she then seduces him. The desires of the heart begin to well up. And immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter, disobedience. He committed the sin. As a fool goes to the correction of the stocks. Verse 23, listen to this. Till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. Deception, desire, disobedience, and death. Look at uh, the book of Numbers, I believe it is. I'm sorry, Joshua. Joshua chapter 7, Joshua chapter 7, Joshua chapter 7. This is the very well-known story of Achan, and I can't go through the details of it, but basically he disobeys, he sins. We know that, but listen to the way that Achan spells this out. Joshua chapter 7 in verse 21. When I saw Among the spoils, a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I saw them there. Ah, it's entered the mind. I wonder what types of deception were going on in Achan's mind. Nobody will ever know. Perhaps was part of the deception. Well, these things, if I had these things, they would satisfy me. That's one of the deceptions that's out there. God will never know. Nobody will see. I don't know what was in his mind, but he sees the things there. He says, and I coveted them. The, the lust of the flesh began to well, the lust of the heart, the desires of the heart, the deception of the mind worked with the desire of the heart. And he says, so I, I took them. I disobeyed. I sinned. You know the rest of the story. And if you don't, the end result was death, was death. Let's go back. There's lots of them, but let's go back one more. Only because we're running out of time, but there are other illustrations of this. Genesis chapter 3, perhaps the most well-known of falls, spiritual falls in mankind. Genesis chapter 3. Listen to the way that this scenario happened. This is the very first sin. Some say that there's a law of first principle when studying the Bible. When you see something for the very first time, it tends to be a pattern. Well, that is certainly true with this very first sin in Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? planting a bit of deception in the mind doubt is God's word really true. This was the deception that she dealt with. We'll deal with different deceptions throughout our days, brothers and sisters, lots of different deceptions. Sin will satisfy. That's one of the deceptions that we need to understand. God's word is true. We need to understand that. I should say sin will never satisfy. Is that what I said? There are lots of deceptions. Well, this attack, this deception of the mind was doubting the word of God. Well, the woman says to the serpent, she gives her response and so forth. And the serpent says to the woman in verse four, you will not surely die for God knows that in the day of you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Oh, Eve's mind is working over all of this deception. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate deception in the mind. Desire in the heart, the lusts of the flesh, the heart is yearning. Look at that fruit. It looks so good. What's to follow? Come on. This is the process. Disobedience, sin, And what's to come after that? Death. Exactly what God had promised. This is the process. So, what do we do about it? Why do we care? I've already answered this question. Why does it matter? Because if we will heed the word of God in its command to be renewed in the spirit of your mind to allow God to transform you. Transformation is not God molding you from the outside in, but it's the spirit of God within you through the word of God, changing your very nature. Do you know that your mind and your heart is who you really are? Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, So he is. Well, that's interesting. It connects the mind and the heart immediately. And it says he is what he thinks. You're not what you eat, my friend. You are what you think. When David really wanted God to uncover him, who he was, the depths of who he was, you remember what he said in Psalm 139? Search me, O God. Keep an eye on my actions. Watch the things that I do. Do you know Psalm 139? Is that what he said? It is not what he said. When David really wanted God to uncover who he really was, who are you? Who am I? You are the thoughts that you think. I'm not trying to get cute here, but this is the truth of the word of God. You are what you think. And the di- diet of your mind, what your mind feeds on, feeds the desires of your heart. Your mind and your heart are who you are. So that David would say, "Not search me, O God, keep an eye on my behavior. Not search me, O God, watch my actions." But these are the last the last two verses of Psalm one thirty nine. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. Lord, I want you to uncover who I really am. Well, that's who you are, brother and sister. We can pretend, okay? I'm not saying that good the the things we do don't matter. Of course not. But we can fake actions. You cannot fake the thoughts that are in your mind. You can tell other people, false things about the thoughts that are in your mind. But the thoughts that are in your mind are who you are. You deal with those. The desires of your heart, that's who you are. I can fake my actions. You could look at me from the outside. Maybe I'm doing really well one day. Hey, look at this guy. He's preached the gospel to people and he's, and you're saying, wow, he's okay. But I know that the way I think the, the desires of my heart is who I really am. This is the beautiful part of it. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 11. We're going to conclude with this and clearly we're not going to get into the nature of the shepherd. Look at Ezekiel chapter 11, this prophetic passage. Bear with me for just moment or two Ezekiel Daniel Ezekiel Daniel Hosea if you're struggling like I am to find it, Ezekiel chapter 11 listen to this well-known prophecy Ezekiel 11:19. then I the Lord will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart of flesh uh, Take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. How are they gonna walk in his statutes and keep them and do them? Because God's going to give them a new heart. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the promise of the Lord to give to you a new mind and a new heart. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says this, and you know this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. First of all, do you recognize that if you've been born again, if you've been born again, if you're a child of God, I don't want to assume that if you've been saved, those are all synonymous terms. If you're a child of God, you're a new creation in Christ. Do you recognize that he's given you a new mind and a new heart? We need that because the mind and heart of man is desperately wicked. You know that I know that the Bible affirms that. But he's promised this to you, a new mind, and a new heart. Yet, I've already said it a few times, the Apostle Paul will tell us that we not only need a new heart. I don't want to tread on dangerous grounds, but I do want to tell you what the scripture says. If you want to live a victorious Christian life, brothers and sisters, you not only need a new heart, to be born again, to be saved, to be redeemed. But you also need a renewed mind. Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That is a work by the Spirit of God from the inside out. How is he going to do it? He tells us. By the renewing of your mind. How do we renew the mind? I've got to close. There's one other place in the New Testament uh, that Paul uses this word transformed and it's in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. I want you to read this with me as we close. Thank you for your patience. 2 Corinthians three eighteen. You need a new heart, friend, but you need a renewed mind as well if you're going to be victorious in the Christian life. You need to deal with the sins of the mind and of the heart. And only the spirit of God can do that. How will he do it? But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. I don't have time to go through the whole passage, but this is a direct reference, a direct statement to the word of God. We're looking into the mirror as it were, Of the word of God, we're seeing the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. I'm suggesting to you that the primary way that your mind can be renewed, that you can be transformed is through the word of God by the Spirit of God. Listen to what... Let me close with this quote. The problem with our minds is not merely that we are finite and don't have all the information. The problem is that our minds are fallen. They have a spirit, a bent, a mindset that is hostile to the absolute supremacy of God. Our minds are bent on not seeing God as infinitely more worthy of praise than we are or the things we make or achieve. You, my brother and sister, are free in Christ because when you do from the inside what you love to do, you are free if what you love to do is what you ought to do. I'm going to read that again. You are free in Christ because when you do from the inside what you love to do, you are free if what you love to do is what you ought to do. God can renew your mind. He can change the literal desires of your heart. Not just that you'll have better self-control. Not that you'll just be a better good boy, good girl but that God can actually change your heart, the desires of your heart by the renewing of your mind. This is the testimony of scripture. What are you doing with the word of God? Are you giving the spirit of God the opportunity to change your mind, to renew your mind, to transform you from the inside out? Our heavenly father, we do thank you as we've come today to look into your word. It is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword. We thank you for your goodness toward us. We ask that you would bless us as we part. We give you thanks in Jesus' name.